Well, let, let me pray just, just a moment. So Heavenly Father, even as we come now to Your Word, I pray that You would just pour out Your Spirit upon this place. Father, give us ears to hear that we may know Christ, that we may know the power of the resurrection, that we may know that it is well with our souls. So Father, help us to learn more of You and more of Your only begotten Son in which You sent. So help us, Father, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now over the last several sermons, we've been looking at joy. and We began weeks ago by looking at uh, the James, the first chapter of the first, not the first two verses, but verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Last week I asked the question if biblical joy and is the same as happiness. And we said no. That happiness is more based upon our response to our current circumstances which are varied and ever-changing. Based upon our current circumstances, we may find ourselves unhappy. Or, if it's circumstances that we enjoy, we may, we may be glad and we may find ourselves happy. Or a multitude of other emotions or feelings that we may be going through. So this happiness is based on changing circumstances. But joy, the joy of the Lord, is based on fact of truth. You know, Peter had said of, of the trials, First uh, Peter 1, verses 6 and 7, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. James says, Count it all joy. Peter says, greatly rejoice. So this biblical joy, this rejoicing, is based on unchangeable facts or conditions for the child of God. And we know that the ultimate outcome for the true born-again believer will to be with Christ forever and ever. This joy is based upon the grace of God. This joy is grace recognized. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Being saved, born again, born of God, an irrevocable transaction wrought by God, it is unchangeable. And it is on the basis of this irrevocable act that the born-again believer will have, should have, joy. Consistent even through the various trials that we may face. And again, this joy is not based on the ever-changing circumstances of life. Various trials, 
trials of many kinds and colors variegated. Not based on ever-changing circumstances of life, but this joy is based on knowing that we are saved. Knowing that we're being kept by the power of God until that time when we are in His very presence in glory. This is the basis for true joy. And last week, we read uh, from the Apostle Paul in Philippians. I want to read it again. Philippians 1, let's read 20 through 23. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh... This will mean fruit for my labor, yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, between living and dying. I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. (laughs) See, Paul didn't know what God's plan was for him at this time. He's in prison at any moment that that door could swing open and they could take him to the gallows and his life would be over. So he didn't know if he was going to be put to death or if he was going to live and continue the work of the Lord, but he did know that upon his death it would be great gain for him. Paul said that he had a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is, he said, far better. And we asked the question last week, better than what? Better Than everything. Better than everything. As a born again believer, upon our death we depart and leave behind everything that this world holds and we gain Christ. And this is far better. And this is the root basis for joy. Living knowing that regardless of the various ongoing trials that I may face, I have, according to the Peter, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for me. And this, I greatly rejoice. So for us, here at Arcadia Valley Community Church, We are mourning, yet rejoicing at our loss of our dear sister, Mary Wiltberger. She has departed this life. She has left this world behind. And she has entered into the presence of the Lord. And in this, I greatly rejoice. How about you? And Dwayne does too. And the family does too. She is now in the Lord's presence. 2 Corinthians 5.8 Paul said this, We are confident, yes, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. For her, today is great gain. As she has entered into the joy of the Lord, think about this, in His very presence. 
See, that, that, that's what we're all longing for, isn't it? And I know if she could, she would tell me, preach about this joy. She would say, preach Jesus. Tell others about Him. And so, let's do that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John the 15th chapter. We're going to spend pretty much the remainder of our time today in the book of John. We're going to be reading a lot, a lot, a lot of Scripture today. And so I pray that you would fight the good fight of faith as you listen. I pray that you will take the wonderful words of life that is God's Word and that you would rejoice in it, that you would read it and take it to heart, meditate upon it, and think about who Christ is and this joy that we can have. Now I want to start by just reading one verse in John 15, and that's verse 11. We've been talking about joy, so here's what Christ has said. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So keep in mind that every word of John 15, if you've got a red letter edition Bible, it's all red except for perhaps a little word here or there that the translators imposed in there to, to help make it be more readable for us. But this is all the words of Christ. And if you would go beginning around chapter 13 and through chapter 17, the words of Christ dominate it all. And I want you to also keep in mind that, that these words are all words from our Lord on the night before His crucifixion. So do you think Him knowing what is coming, do you think these chapters should have importance? You, you think that He is trying to say everything, everything, everything that He can to His disciples knowing what is coming? I think so. And also remember that during His last night in the upper room celebrating the Passover with His disciples, this is when He exposed Judas as the betrayer. Remember Jesus had said, one of you will betray Me. And the disciples, remember, they, they were they were confused. They, what, what do you mean? What, what do you mean? And, and uh, John thirteen verse twenty six, Jesus answered, "It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it." And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And then verse thirty, having received. The piece of bread, he, Judas, then immediate, then went out immediately, and it was night. So at this point now, from John chapter 13, verse 30 on, Jesus is talking to the, the remaining eleven disciples who did not leave. And can I say the true followers? 
And so we have this contrast between Judas, the false follower, the false disciple, the false apostle, the false, if I could say, Christian, and the eleven who were genuine. And Jesus brings out this distinction between Judas and the others, the true and the false believer, very clearly in the opening 11 verses of chapter 15. And we'll be talking about that to some degree, Lord willing, next Sunday. At this time, they are no longer in the upper room. The last words of Jesus in John 14 were, Arise, let us go from here. We know that from the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, that Jesus and the eleven are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. We also know that along this road were, were many vineyards along the way. And in my mind, it doesn't say this, but in my mind I can almost picture as they're walking down this road that perhaps it is at one of those moments that Jesus paused, perhaps even reaching up in my mind, this is just me thinking. And then says these words, John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. I am telling you these things, why? That my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full, may be made complete. So where is true joy found? Knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. Knowing who Jesus truly is. The only begotten Son of God sent by God from heaven to come to the earth that He had created and to give of Himself His very life upon the cross of Calvary as the once and for all time perfect sacrifice for sin. And Jesus begins with this declaration in John 15, 1. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. And in verse 5, He repeats, I am the vine. 
you are the branches. Now, this is a declaration of the deity of Christ. And many times in the book of John, Jesus made these I am statements. Jesus Himself declaring His deity. Now let me ask this question. Is it important that we believe in the deity of Christ? <laughs> yes. That He came as God incarnate, God with us? Yes. Listen. You can't be saved. You can't be born again unless you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You cannot. That He is the I Am. You cannot be saved apart from that. In John 8, verse 23 and 24. And He said to them, the unbelieving Jews, the Pharisees, He said to them, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Is it important to believe that He is? Yes. Yes. Hebrews 11 verse 6. But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of the one of those who diligently seek Him. To believe that He is. That He is the I Am. And so today, for the remainder of our time, we are going to look at the I Am statements of Jesus from the book of John. Now, I know this could be a series in itself. I know that each one of these could be a sermon or two or three in itself. But today, we're, we're going to read them and, and, and let the Holy Spirit minister and speak in the midst of it. So we're going to, like I said, we're going to be reading a lot. So let, let us take each of these statements and, and let's, let's put them all together today. The I Am statements of Jesus Christ. And we're going to read a lot of verses surrounding these, so keep that in mind. So let's go to John 6. We're going to read 29 through 51. So you can follow along. And again, oh, I pray that you will hang on to these words. Verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in Me whom He sent. Therefore they said to Him, and again, this is the unbelievers there, this is the Pharisees mixed in here. Therefore they said to Him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Let me pause. <laughs> what had He already done? Think of all the miracles, all the things that He had already done up to this point. They had seen evidence. Who can do such things? No one. No one except someone from God. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, 
Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to Me shall never hunger, and who believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen Me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives Me will come to Me, and the one who comes to Me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. This is the will of the Father who sent Me, that of all He has given Me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up in the last day. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. What was the response? (laughs) The Jews then complained about Him because He said, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. See, now, now we know the rest of the story, don't we? Did the Jews understand? No. No. What did they do? Verse 52. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, see this was blasphemous to them, to their ears. They they didn't understand that Jesus was speaking in spiritual terms. Jesus continues. (laughs) And almost as if to frustrate the Jews all the more. Because listen, what he, he continues to talk about. Let's pick it up now in verse 53. Go through 58. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood... See, now, he's really pouring it on them now, isn't he? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, And I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And again, 
we know the rest of the story. But the Jews didn't understand. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus' disciples understand? No. No. No, they didn't. In John 60, verse, uh, John 6, verse 60, Therefore, many of His disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? You know, Jesus came down from earth, eat His flesh and drink His blood. See, they misunderstood what Jesus was saying. They didn't understand. And then Jesus explains, verse 61 through 63. When Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples complained about this, He said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where He, where he was before? Now let me pause. See, Jesus is saying, if you're having trouble believing this, then, then what will you think when you see Me ascend? What will you think at the, at the power of the resurrection? Does this offend you? What then if you would, should see the Son of Man ascend where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. You see, Jesus was speaking in spiritual terms. He was talking, we know He was talking of Him giving His body upon the cross. We know He was talking about being that blood sacrifice for the sins of the world. Him coming from heaven. Of being the very foundation of eternal life. Of Him coming into a world of darkness and bringing the light of life. Then Jesus makes this declaration of being the light of the world. So let's go to chapter 8, verse 12. Chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And we know, we, we see, sing songs that talk about it that we were all, all once darkness. No light in us whatsoever. But then, by the grace of God, light shone into a dark place. He granted to us faith to believe, to see Him. And as we saw Him, and as we saw the darkness of our sin and light of a most holy God, we fell before Him. He gave us faith to believe. He granted us repentance that we might become His children. I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus' declaration of being the door of the sheep and the good shepherd. Let's go to chapter 10. Begin in verse 7. We're going to read through verse 20. And again, this, this is Christ over and over and over again making declaration of who He is. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before Me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. Now, who's he talking about? All the false prophets, all the false teachers, the false messiahs, all of those who came before, before were thieves and robbers, and the sheep 
The true sheep didn't fall for it. They didn't hear them. And Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And again, we understand spiritual language. I am the door. The thief does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. For a hireling, or a false prophet, as this would have been referring to, who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. And the other sheep I have which are not in this fold. Now let me pause. Who's, who's this sheep? Who's the one who's not of the fold of Israel? That's the Gentiles. That's me and you. And we're being mentioned here. And the other sheep I have which are not in this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Let me pause again. Do we understand one flock, one shepherd? That there's not a way for the Jew and a separate way for the Gentiles. There's not a separate way. There is one way. There is one way. And that is through Christ. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Now, now what did the... What did the Jews think of all this? Verse 19, Therefore there was a division among again among the Jews because of these sayings, and many of them said, listen to what they said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to Him? <laughs> see, see, there are people yet today who will say that same thing. Aren't there? Yeah, that Jesus stuff. Why, why do you... <laughs> what a bunch of hokum. What a bunch of garbage. What a bunch of foolishness. It's just all fiction. It's just a bunch of crazy stuff. No, it's not. It's life. It's everlasting life. It's the way. The truth. John 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die, he shall live. It is Christ. It is Christ. Jesus made it very clear that there are not many ways to God, many ways to heaven, but there is only one way, and it is through Him believing and receiving Him. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. One way that is through Christ. And then in John 15, 1, 
I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Now, I'm going to read one more. And this statement is worded a little different than the others that we have read. I believe all the others start with, I am, and then the statement. This one has the I am at the end. But let's read John 8, verse 58. And this is perhaps the most direct and most dramatic claim that Jesus makes of His deity. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And we know He's making references back to Old Testament where God the Father, the great I am. And Jesus is saying, I am. I am. And this comes in an ongoing debate that the Pharisees were trying to have with Jesus. And I say trying to have because the Jews were arguing and debating, but Jesus was stating fact, you see. They were denying the deity of Christ. They were denying that Jesus had been sent by God. They had claimed that Abraham was their father, that God was their father. But Jesus declares to them who their father truly is, remember? So let's read. Let's go into John 8, verse 39 through 44. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Let me pause there. Can't, Can't you see some of them poking out their chest? Can't you see some of them just welling up with pride? Don't try to tell me who I am. Don't try to tell me that I need something other than what we've already got. I know who I am. I know who my father is. Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who was told, who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Oh, what, what did Abraham do? He told of, of the one who was to come. Verse 41. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So now they step it up a bit. First they said Abraham is their father. Now they're saying God is their father. And what did Jesus do? Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but He sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. See, it's only when the Lord opens our eyes, our ears, that we hear. Until that time, what is the message of the cross? Foolishness. Foolishness. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father, you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. And the Pharisees continued to argue. Well, what do you know of Abraham? Because Jesus had just said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day 
and he saw it and was glad. Now, now Abraham didn't see the literal day. No, but by faith he saw it from afar. Believing the promise of God that through his seed, the one would come. And Abraham believed and it was reckoned, it was accounted to him for righteousness because he believed God. No, he didn't see the literal day, but all he saw it. He saw it and he rejoiced in it. He rejoiced in Christ coming. Did he understand it all? No, no, no. But he believed God. He believed God. And the the unbelieving Jews went on to say, you're not even 50 years old and, and you're trying to say you've seen Abraham? And that brings us back to John 8, verse 58. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. (laughs) Unless they believe in Jesus, the I am, they will die in their sins. Let's read that part again in John 8, verse 23 through 24. Because this is all within that same... Again, (laughs) the Jews thought they were debating and arguing, but Jesus is just stating fact. John 8, 23 and 24, And He and Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, the unbelieving Jews, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Let's read Hebrews 11.6 one more time. But without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. They must believe that He is. And there we come to the question one more time. Do I preach the same sermon every Sunday? I guess I do. Because it all comes down to this, doesn't it? Do you believe? It comes down to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. If we don't preach the Gospel of Christ, why am I here? But it must at some point, come back to the Gospel. And that question, do you believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that He is the great I Am? That He is from heaven? That He is God incarnate, God with us? Because if not, you will die in your sin. It's just that simple. Call it foolishness. Call it whatever you like. I don't need to debate it. All I know is this is truth. And all I do from Sunday after Sunday, as best I can in obedience to the Father, is speak the truth of His Word. To remind you of what His Word says. Do you believe? So let's read those verses I read so often. John 3, verse 14 through 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And again, talking of what? Being lifted up upon a cross 
Why? That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And if you remain in that condition, you will die in your sins. He didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. John 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Doesn't get much plainer than that, does it? It's either believe or someday in judgment, fall under the wrath of most holy, righteous God. Jesus came to this earth to be the perfect sacrificial lamb, the once and for all sacrifice for sin, to give His life a ransom for many, to pay in full the penalty of sin for all those who would believe. All the true sheep, all the ones who will at some point in their life hear the Good Shepherd's voice and follow Him. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And with the heart one believes under righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And again, saved from what? Well, saved from what John had just said. Saved from the wrath of God that abides upon all unbelievers. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. And don't get that wrong idea that it seems many have. You believe in Christ or are you a Christian? Do you know that you're saved? Oh yeah, I invited Jesus into my heart. What's that mean? If anybody ever says that to you, just look at them and say, what's that mean to you? Yes, we, we, we confess with the heart, but what are we confessing? Well, we're confessing, perhaps first of all, that He is. That He is the true God. And then before Him, in light of His holiness, we confess our sins. And we fall broken before Him. Because if there is no brokenness over sin, can there be a regenerate heart? I don't see how. There must be a brokenness over sin, a confession of sin, and a receiving and believing of Christ. And then the evidence that one knows they are truly saved will be what? 
They will follow Him. They will obey His commandments. Will they be perfect? No. But they will endure to the end. It's out on the sign, isn't it? They will endure to the end. They will not fall away. Oh, they may stumble and fall into sin, but as a true sheep, the Good Shepherd will come for them and bring them back into the fold, will He not? Yes, He will. Yes, He will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for Your Word. And, and I give You thanks for, for all, all, all who are here, all who are listening to this sermon at some point, for all who have confessed Christ is Lord, believing that He is, believing that He is Your Son, believing that He came to give His life a sacrifice for sin. And Lord, I give You thanks for opening our eyes that we might see You, that we may see the rescue for sinners in, in the cross of Christ, that we might see our sin, that we might fall broken before You and cry out to You, confessing sin, believing and receiving Christ and turning from our sin, taking up our cross and following Christ, denying ourselves because we are no longer the same. We are a new creation in Christ. So Father, help us to live as that new creation. Help us to know what it is, as Brother Jim talked about this morning, to deny ourselves, to take up the cross, to follow You as we should. So Father, help each believer to know what that means for their lives, for their situation that they find themselves in, for, for the, the people that they are surrounded by. Help them to know how to live that out and what that would be for them. And Father, should there be one who is yet lost in their sin, who is not believed, I pray, Father, that You would have mercy. I pray, Father, that You would perform a miracle of salvation that only You can do. Because it's not by my persuasive words or anybody else's that we can bring anyone to Christ. All we can do is tell the Gospel story. And it is You, it is You that open the eyes of the blind, that, that unclogs ears that will not hear and cause them to see and cause them to hear the gospel. So Father, have mercy. And Lord, help, help us who are believers to, to not be ashamed to tell others of the gospel of Christ. And Lord, help us to speak the truth in love. Help, help us to know the right thing to say at just the right time. So again, Father, we need You we need You. And again, Lord, we just pray a special blessing upon the Wiltberger family this morning and for the days to come. Just draw them close to Yourself. Grant them peace and comfort, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.